0: This is The Guardian. Neuer Job? Neues Glück? Starte jetzt als Fahrerin bei Lieferando durch. Mit einem Vertrag ganz nach deinem Geschmack. Entdecke deine Stadt, sichere dir ein geregeltes Einkommen
1: und eine Work-Life-Balance, die zu dir passt. Na, bereit abzuliefern? Dann bewirb dich jetzt online. Hör ich da Lieferando?
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Should they just hand England the trophy now? An impressive... Got-the-job-done performance against Italy. Jude Bellingham pivotal ahead of the pivots. Is Harry Kane deceptively quick or are Italy just honestly slow at the back? Italy did expose England a few times in the first half, but Gareth boys were on it in the decisive moments. And now the Azuri are sweating on a game against Ukraine. Elsewhere, San Marino score a goal. Unbridled joy down those Danes for getting a winner, but it doesn't really matter. We'll round up the rest of the Euro qualifiers action and find out why Ireland need to lose their next game, something they should really be capable of. There's the build-up to... Pascal Chimbonda's first game in management and this panel should bring some much needed balance to the anti-dog agenda that somehow made the edit last week. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Morning, On the panel today, Will Unwin, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Nicky Bandini. Morning. And hi, Lars Sivertsen. Good morning, Max. Uh, So uh, England have qualified for Euro 2024 after beating uh, Italy at Wembley 3-1. My favourite sort of weirdly meaningless tweet was from the Premier League that said, heartache against Italy at Wembley in the Euro 2020 final, but 828 days later, as if nothing's (laughs) happened in that time, uh, England beat Italy to book their place in Germany for Euro 2024. Um, Lars, how good were England? I've seen words like sort of swagger and inevitability. And I thought it was good at the key moments, but perhaps not. I'm going to go. swagger seems a bit far. I think.
3: No, I think good at the key moments is a pretty good assessment. It tallies with my my feeling as I watched it. But uh, there were moments of sort of nice, fluid attacking uh, football. I think the, the 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 second goal was lovely, and, uh, and and certainly there were certain movements when they they looked very good. But but you know, Italy certainly in the first half, Italy also did some things. It's just I think the way our view and experience of a game can be sort of colored, not just by the outcome, but how it develops as the game goes on. Because Italy were, England were definitely the better team in the second half. And they were comfortably the better team in the second half. And so when you're the best team in the second half and you win 3-1, it's kind of easy to forget that it was a little bit more iffy uh, before, before the break. But this is a team like I'm... I've got no skin in the game here. Like, I'm not a big England fan. I'm in that wonderful position of I've I've been here long enough and, and no one care about enough English people that I'm genuinely happy when they win. But I also have the sort of foreigner schadenfreude when they don't. So whatever happens to them, <laughs> then kinda, I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy, whatever whatever else. But I do quite enjoy watching them now. Like, there's quite a lot of fun guys in this team. It's easy to get sort of, I don't know if... Get spoiled is almost the phrase I'm looking for here because there's not that many years ago where, like, sort of. England friendlies uh, not not friendly that's that's an interesting freudian slip England games at Wembley w- were just kind of joyless and boring and you can kind of like hear the England band trying their best and the people being no. this is a team that's kind of exciting to watch I, I I enjoy watching them and then you've got like Jack Grealish coming off the bench so it's like there's a lot of good stuff going on here and I think English uh, fans should really appreciate this team while they have it uh, instead of, as some of them seem to do, spend all their energy on like the handful of guys in there who they don't really like, because yeah, that seems like a strange focus. England were good, is the very uh, abbreviated version of what I just said.
1: On the swagger thing, I, I think it's interesting, because I think Jude Bellingham has swagger. I mean, there's no there's no doubt Jude Bellingham has swagger. He's an extraordinary footballer, and whenever he's on the ball, you just think he's going to do something brilliant. And there was something in the second goal which felt like swagger to me, because... It wasn't just what he did, which obviously creating the goal and then the run across the defence that makes a space for Rashford. But it was almost like his self-belief rubbed off on Rashford. Because I haven't seen Rashford look that menacing in a long time. And suddenly Mm. when Rashford was on the ball, you're like, who's this guy? Rashford is arrowing at the defence, he's got the ball. It was one of those feelings that as soon as the ball was with Rashford, you thought this is ending in the net because because of that swagger. Because there was something in his, in his body, in his—I don't know—the way he was carrying himself, the way he was carrying the ball in that moment that just felt menacing. And so I think that's where the swagger comes from. I, I agree basically entirely with what Lars just said about the two different halves and, and how the game went. But I think there were moments of swagger that came through.
2: It's hard, Will, to already. It's hard to think of new things to say about jude Bellingham, isn't it and and i'm still sort of amazed he's 20 like that seems ridiculous but i suppose you know you've seen that before with like i mean gaza is the 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 perfect comparison when he was what i don't know how he was in italian 1919 maybe but it's that vibe isn't it it's that total just belief in yourself and the you know the beauty of youth yet to be ground down i'm not saying specifically you are ground down as a person (laughs) will but but, you know, that that is something, you know, hopefully he still has that in 10 years' time.
4: Yeah, don't worry. I'm quite ground down. Yeah. Kids, do. <laughs> kids, kids do that to you. Don't worry. He's, yeah. he's got that to come, probably. Um, yeah, I, I think, obviously, with the Rashford thing, he was probably just quite excited to play alongside a central midfielder that could run. So it was quite novel for Rashford. It really <laughs> inspired him to, to do a bit of sprinting himself. It, yeah, with Jude Bellingham, obviously, with anyone that naturally talented you know they're going to go a good a good way but if you look at his influence yesterday the penalty where you're having to put that extra yard in to know you, you're you going to get taken out for the for the goal for Rashford goal where you're running making that run knowing you're doing it for your teammate to make space you're not always going to get that with the best players the level below elite where they have all the talent, but they just don't have that extra yard, that extra bit of energy to do it for everyone else. Whereas Bellingham is obviously playing for everyone else. The confidence it must give you to go to Real Madrid, you know, it's not overtaken him. It's not overwhelmed him. He's really taken it in stride, as you can see, you know, with his La Liga performances. I'm always considering getting a subscription for La Liga TV for my, my 14 subscription for football. Um, and that's it. And as I say, he's so comfortable if you watch the interview after the match, he's just had an incredible performance against Italy in front of a packed Wembley. He's very relaxed. He's very chilled. He speaks very well. He's joking with Zola. Oh, it's it's exciting to see that someone is so comfortable with that pressure that, it, that he is in. It doesn't seem to show it. As you mentioned, Gazzo, obviously various aspects to it all, but probably didn't cope with the pressure of being that exciting generational talent, whereas Bellingham is. And if you look, you mentioned in being good in the key moments earlier. That's generally what international football is. Mm. It's not very exci- It's not very exciting. And you look at the best teams over the past, you know, decades and decades in major tournaments. The teams that win generally have someone that can stand out. England have always been solid and a little bit too reliant maybe on Kane to take a half chance or something like that. And when he's not scoring, England struggle. But now you have those players that can take the game by the scruff of the neck. You have Bellingham. You have like the Foden touch yesterday to kick off that, that move. You have all these players that actually can make the difference when you the rest of the team's solid, which generally, generally England haven't had it previously. So it's an exciting time for England. And um, yeah, obviously they'll blow it next summer, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, enjoy it.
1: I, I sort of wanted to, to to pick up, I don't know if I'm getting too hooked onto this this swagger word, but I think there's something in in the habit of winning, in in the confidence that comes from the habit of winning. And England, perhaps, maybe I'm being um, too in the moment. I'm going to forget times when it's been like this before. But I just, I look at some of the key players in this England team and they're positioned right now in teams that have the habit of winning. Um, think about Harry Kane going to, to, to Bayern Munich. I'd, I already can feel Tottenham fans coming for me on this one. It's
2: okay, <laughs>
1: but you're going to a team that more than Tottenham has has the habit of of, of winning, right? Like
2: you have the defence of truth. You have the the you have the defence <laughs> of truth here, Nicky.
1: And I know it's not been perfect for him in Bayern, but I. I still think, I don't know, I, I look at this England team and I think, gosh, when when was their last England team where you look at perhaps the two most, the two single most important players, not that there aren't plenty of others, but Bellingham and Kane, and they're playing not in England at teams that are dominant within their domestic context and dominant um, uh, internationally as well. And then add on to that, that right now Manchester City are dominant in Europe and you've got players like Foden in the team. It's There's a lot of winning habit in this England team and perhaps more than there has been often in the past.
4: This would be a point that would be laughed by everyone on social media. But I have this thought and theory, and I've spoken to people in the past where this makes sense, with Bellingham and Kane next summer going to Germany where Bellingham played for Dortmund and Kane is in the habit of winning, as you say, with Bayern. Feeling comfortable in your surroundings is very important and having that level of comfort where nothing next summer will be a surprise to those people where, of where they're playing and things like that will actually help England and having those those players with those experience will help everyone else in it. And obviously you've got people playing in the Champions League like that. but not everyone in the England squad is playing in the Champions League. And so having Kane and Bellingham who probably won at most of the grounds that will be featured next summer is going to be important for England.
2: Um, Lars, there's a one conversation that will be had a million times, not just by us, but by everyone, uh, as England, as we get closer to the Euros, is the double pivot, right? And does it seem sensible to actually have that? Now you have someone in the 10 who is so brilliant and you have someone in, in front of them who scores buckets of goals and you've got a plethora of people wide. There will always be people saying, oh, we don't need a double pivot. Let's just have one. And that'll be Declan Rice." who is quite attacking himself, and I'm not against having one pivot because I like attacking footballers like we all do, but is there actually some sense in that solidity?
3: Well, I think it does depend on the opposition a little bit. I I, I think it it makes sense to have like an extra beefy boy in there against uh, Italy. Uh, That that makes total sense. And, And you kind of touched on it then. If you have, I mean, hopefully for England's sake, he'll move somewhere else in January so he actually can play some football. But if you have a match fit Calvin Phillips it does free up Declan Rice to do some things because I've i always been of the opinion that Declan Rice should kind of just focus on trying to be the English Rodri because there aren't that many great number sixes in the world right now. But the reality is he does like to get forward a little bit. It's something he wants to do, seems to be, and it's something he can do. You know, he he, he does add things when he gets forward and plays as more of a box-to-box sort of number eight type of guy. So if you're playing him and Calvin Phillips... That doesn't mean, as I've heard repeated many places, that you have, oh, we've got two cities in it. But it's like, no, not necessarily, because Declan Rice can and and will be encouraged to do a little bit more than that. Uh, So it's just adding a little bit extra solidity. And I think we've seen this in tournaments from Gareth Southgate before. He will adjust according to the opposition. What would be frustrating if you have like a... A group stage game against someone where you know you're going to have a lot of possession and you know they're going to sit deep, and you use one of your midfield spots on Jordan Henderson like that. I think you're allowed to be frustrated if that happens. Uh, but but this was this was playing Italy. This was a this was a big boy game. So so you pick uh, you pick the team accordingly, and I, I think it was, it was fine.
2: And actually, Arteta, you know, bought in Jorginho, didn't he? Against. Mm-hmm against Man City, right? Which frees up Declan Rice a bit So I agree with you. He sort of gallops forward. I don't think you want him mm-hmm. to be the sole person sitting because he doesn't really sit. Uh, Nick says, why do you think Harry Kane has waited all this time to reveal he actually has blistering pace? He uh, surpassed Bobby Charles on the list of most goals for England at Wembley. Uh, he's up to 61 in 87 appearances for England. Um, you know, that third goal was not a sort of, Was that a very Harry Kane goal, Nicky? I can't remember. I mean, it was lots of Italian defenders not doing a great job at that exact moment. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it wasn't a great defence performance from Italy. I mean, there's there's plenty to say about the Italy performance. And I think on the pacing, it's certainly watching it, you thought, I mean, come on, it's Harry Kane in terms of pace. But I think what you have to remember with, with Kane is he's been around a long time and he knows how to cover for his his areas of of less eliteness, I was going to say, rather than weakness, because I don't think you can call it weakness. And I think he uses his body very well. He shields the ball very well. He knows how to position himself and and use what he does have to his advantage. That Italy defence was a bit of an odd hodgepodge. I mean, Scalvini, I'm very interested in his exciting young player, but he's, he's still a teenager. So give him time to work on things. Udoji, everyone's seen at Tottenham, has had a good start to the season. I think he's got a lot of promise as well. But again, you're talking about someone who's 20 years old. I think... The whole team selection from Spalletti was a little bit surprising to me, and I think that it's not necessarily the strongest eleven um, that he could have chosen. And I think if you wanted to be more solid in those areas, then perhaps a more obvious choice would have been to stick with as much as you could of the Inter back four that went to a Champions. Well, actually, it's a back five at Inter, but you could take a significant part of it and use it in your back four, and take the the group that went to a, a European final together last season. But I understand the reasons for not doing that as well. And um, I think in this case, yes, they were certainly exposed. Mm.
2: Well, actually, Nikki, I thought, you know, like I thought Barella looked really good in that first half as well. And, I, you know, they when they got past the two pivots, I was like, actually, you know, and obviously they took the lead. A doggy had that good chance. They had moments. And it is worth remembering they are under strength for lots of reasons, Italy.
1: Yes, and I don't know how much you want me to talk about the the, the whole scandal that's going on in Italy because that's obviously oh, for a for sure definitely yeah. a, a, a huge story. Um, Spalletti, just to, to, before we get to that, Spalletti is, has inherited a very difficult job because he was given three weeks before the last two games, which were both pivoted in this group. Obviously, the group had already not started well with Italy losing the, the home game against England, and he's wrestling with that drama with important playing is being injured. Obviously, Federico Chiesa would start if he was available with, frankly, a, a shortage of talent at some positions. And I do think it's a very uneven Italy team because I think there is some some real talent in this team. I think Barella obviously is. Uh, and I think that uh, Cristante has played some great games for Roma. I think that in defence, again, Scalvini has a big future ahead of him. I think Bastoni has a big future ahead of him. I I love Federico Di Marco, who who didn't play in this game. And I think that's going to be a really interesting dilemma for, for Spalletti, how you include Di Marco and Udogi, who want to play in the same side of the pitch. I think there are some really talented footballers here, but there are gaps and you have prepared for this game at a particular moment with two players who were involved in Spalletti's first two games in charge, Tonali and Zagnolo, who certainly would have been involved in these two games being removed from the squad at no notice at all before the game against Malta, So it has been a complicated period. And I would say for Italy, oddly, this game did feel like a bit of a free hit. Because actually, even if Italy win this game, assuming as happened that Ukraine are going to beat Malta, it doesn't necessarily change much at all for what's left for them in the group. Because again, we're building assumptions on assumptions here because Italy, as we know, did not always beat North Macedonia, but Italy's next game is at home to North Macedonia. And assuming they win that game, then regardless of what the result was here, the need for the final game against Ukraine would be exactly the same, which is that you need to win or draw because it's head-to-head results to decide the group and they only won 2-1 home against Ukraine. So even if they had a three-point advantage, going to Ukraine, if you lose there, it would have probably been the same sort of outcome. So this game oddly didn't make much difference for them in that regard. And I think that Spalletti absolutely still sent them out there to try and win it. That's not an excuse. That's not a, oh, well, so they weren't trying. I think he he wanted to send his team out. He was challenging them in his in his comments before the game to to not leave things to the last minute, basically. But I do think there is some, some circumstance around this game that perhaps meant you didn't see the very best Italy that you could see.
2: So explain what's happened with Tonali and Zaniolo, if you can.
1: So... There's an ongoing investigation by the Turin prosecutor's office into illegal betting in Italy, which extends far beyond football. That actually goes to the fact, the existence of these websites that are unlicensed by the Italian authorities, where people are betting and the Turin prosecutors are conducting a criminal investigation to find out how that's going on, basically. But it extends to people who are betting on those sites. As part of that investigation, the um, Police came to Covraciano, which is Italy's training base, last week and they asked questions of Tonali and of Zagnolo. Clearly that was quite an unsettling moment for the players and for the team and it was decided at the time that they should go home, basically. As of right now, neither of them is in any way suspended from playing football. They could have played in these games, that would have been completely um, within the rules. However, the criminal justice will take its course and as far as that goes, what their exposure is is if they're found to have bet on illegal sites, sites that aren't licensed in Italy, they could face fines. In theory, a prison sentence of up to three months, but it's a sliding scale, and and that seems like at the moment a fairly unlikely outcome. More pertinent is that the sporting justice thread, um, and what that comes to is footballers are not allowed to bet on football. Um, that's pretty standard, but certainly within the Italian uh, football federation's rules, it's stipulated clearly that you're not allowed to bet on uh, competitions that are governed by the Italian Football Federation, by UEFA or by FIFA. And if you do so, that's punishable by a a suspension from playing of up to three years. And that's before you get into, did you bet on your own team? So it could be even longer if you bet on your own team.
2: And sorry, do you mean suspension from, like, could they, if that happened, would they not be able to play for Villa or Newcastle or is that a Premier League?
1: In theory, this is all in theory. I'm just explaining the extent of the law if you're suspended for up to three years, the Italian Football Federation would apply that ban. And in the same way as we saw when the Italian Football Federation banned, for instance, Paratici, they would expect UEFA to apply that across UEFA-governed competitions. And therefore, yes, it would apply to the Premier League as well. Or competitions that fall within UEFA's gambit, I guess, rather than governed by UEFA. But yes, no, they would, they would absolutely expect that suspension to be applied across European footballing competitions. So it's a very real risk to um, the players of a suspension. And to get into it from there... There's been a separate case, Niccolò Fagioli, Serie A's Young Player of the Year last year at Juventus. He was also caught up in this investigation previously. And we've known that he's been going through the sporting justice process. And actually just yesterday, he effectively completed his plea bargain with the Italian sporting justice. And it looks like he's going to be given a seven-month sentence. So he's going to be suspended for seven months from playing football, Fagioli, who's been playing games for Juventus this season. So this is big news already. Someone else who might have been in theory, in Spalletti's plans. And that's clearly reduced from the maximum of three years because he's spoken to the authorities and said, I'm confessing everything. Here's what happened. Now, Tonali's approach, and it's taken a a few days to get to this because his um, people weren't saying much, but as of yesterday, we now know that he also intends to seek a plea bargain. He he intends to say, yes, you know, I, I did bet. Both he and Fagioli are saying effectively we have a gambling addiction and we're acknowledging it and this is a a thing we want to to face on. Fagioli's uh, sentence, to be specific about it, it's seven month suspension and an extra five months in which he's expected to give 10 meetings chosen by the Italian football authorities where he's going to speak about his problems and use it as a learning experience for others. He's also agreeing to attend therapy. Tonali has immediately volunteered to attend therapy. He wants to cooperate fully with them, with the authorities. He wants to say tell them everything in effect. And that should lead to a reduced sentence. But there will be a sentence if that's the path he's going down, and it will be a suspension from football. How long it will be will depend on the details of what he's planning to say, and will depend on whether or not the things that he says lines up with what the Trim prosecutors find, because the Trim prosecutors confiscated his electronic devices, confiscated Saniola's electronic devices. But the expectation in Italy is, well, if Fagioli's getting a seven-month sentence, it's hard to imagine. Uh, Tonali getting less. We don't know because we haven't heard things said, but that is the expectation. Zaniolo is a case apart because Zaniolo's defence so far, this has come out through his, his lawyer, Giordano, is um, I did not bet on football at all. I might've done some gambling on illegal sites on poker and blackjack. If it's that, there's a good chance he might not face any sort of a suspension. But again, all of this is between the Italian football authorities and also the Turin prosecutors who have the electronic devices belonging to both players. So you've got some corroboration that's going to go on between what Fagioli has told them, what the players are now telling them and the, what between what the police find basically. But at the moment, it looks very much like Tonali is headed for a ban and how long that will be is going to depend on the negotiation with the uh, with the prosecutor. And Zaniolo's case is more open-ended for now.
3: Can I just inject that? According to the Gazetta this morning, Tonali has admitted that he gambled on Milan games when he was under contract with the team, but in games he wasn't eligible to play in. But that is still a level of seriousness that seems to be quite more severe than than what Fagioli has, has admitted to. So you'd have to think with that being the case, and if it's confirmed to be the case, ban will be pretty significant.
1: Gazetta said that Fagioli has acknowledged betting on games involving Serie A teams, but said never Juventus games. And the reporting is that um, Tonali is going to admit that he did bet on Milan games. Again, specifically ones he either wasn't involved in or that were not betting against Milan. But yes, and that would... Under the terms of the Italian Football Federation's rules, there would be scope for that to lead to a longer ban.
2: Fascinating. Um, Before we end part one, uh, we want to say our thoughts with the families and the the friends of the Sweden fans who were shot dead in Brussels on Monday night. The qualifier um, between Belgium and Sweden was abandoned at half time. Um, uh, It was apparently the players that made the ultimate decision. Uh, to abandon it an evacuation uh, of the stadium began just before midnight the last fans and staff left at around 4am around 400 Sweden fans spent the night in hotels under police protection the attacker was shot dead by police on Tuesday morning we've got lots of listeners in Sweden it is another heartbreaking bit of news at a time when there's so much of that and we send our sympathies to you and we'll be back in a second Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Ben says, any news on a tour? Michael says, how much pressure is Will feeling in the lead-up to the highly anticipated Will Unwin anecdote? Uh, has he been rehearsing? Have you been rehearsing, Will?
4: No. I think it's easy to say it's a terrible anecdote. Just take right. that, take off all the pressure. You've not uh, even heard it.
2: No, I know I haven't. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear it live. I want you know. I want my reaction to be natural here. Yeah. Only
4: Joel has, has heard...
2: The ah, story. He's okayed it. He's okayed it, has he? Well, that was
4: over what? That was over about two WhatsApps. So. All oh, right. right. Wow. Yeah, I'll embellish it. Look,
2: we'll put it in the second half. People will be drunk. It's fine. Yeah, um, I'll be drunk. 13th of November at the Troxy in London. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Filippo Clare, me and Baz. 15th of November in Manchester at the Royal Northern College of Music. John Brewer, Nadia Minooja, me and Barry. And, of course, the Will Unwin anecdotes. Uh, 22nd of November... Um, Brighton, uh, Nikki is there um, along with me, Baz and Johnny Lou. That is available around the world on the live stream. Tickets are selling well. Obviously, Bristol and uh, Dublin sold out. Uh, as in Brighton, um, as in Brighton is uh, sold out as well. But I'm really bored of plugging it. So can you just get on with it <laughs> now and just buy tickets, please? It'd be great to say they're all sold out, and I'd I'd have to stop sort of begging and. Scheduling tweets in the middle of the night. Uh, go to theguardian.com slash FWTour23. Uh, they are really quite enjoyable. Which one aren't sold out again, Max? London and Manchester, no. mm. Yeah, so come on sort yourselves out, please. Um, uh, Liam says, open the show with San Marino scoring. Seems unfair, says James, not to call up Paul Watson. Considering the San Marino goal, Autumn Floric, delirious Paul Watson voice note at the top or bust. Uh, Paul Watson tweeted, uh, says a lot about my career, that the closest thing I get to a work emergency (laughs) is when San Marino score. (laughs) Anyway, as promised, uh, here is a voice note from Paul Watson.
0: There's only one goal we need to discuss last night. And it's Alessandro Golonucci, San Marino against Denmark. The corner comes in, ball falls to the big man, the captain, he takes a swing, he hooks it, maybe there's a little deflection, who cares, it's in the roof of the net. Absolute chaos, San Marino players piling onto the pitch, jumping on top of each other, I'm sure there's tears. It's a goal for all of San Marino, it's a goal for all 30,000 people sat on a hill that is a country for some reason nobody really understands. It's a goal for Gianpaolo Matz, um, the PE teacher who coached San Marino for 15 years. He did 83 games, he only ever won once. It's a goal for the Brigata myona Gioia. It's the Never Any Joy Brigade. It's their fan club. They go to all their games. But they've never actually seen San Marino win because they were set up after their last win 20 years ago. It's um, it's a goal for San Marino fan club account on Twitter. The the guy that seems to be always on the verge of a breakdown who tweets throughout their games. I hope he's okay this morning. Uh, it's a goal, but it's a goal for all underdogs. It's a goal for all the fans who support teams so bad. People ask who you really support. It's a goal for those of us who support teams and who bring them just endless, unmitigated pain. Like it's some kind of weird act of sadomasochism, and we just plow on and plow on and it's a goal for all of us watching part-time furniture salesmen hitting the corner flag when there are eight objectively more interesting games going on. Uh, and it's all worth it for that one crazy moment of mayhem. Um, doesn't matter that Denmark scored again. They could have scored 10. Uh, we had our moment and God knows when the next one of those is going to be. So, uh, for the titani, this is for underdogs everywhere. What a moment, Lars.
2: Uh, I mean, like the, 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 the San Marino fan account, which is, <laughs> it was great, you know, doing one of those OMG, OMG, blah 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 blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah blah. When they scored their goal, you know, we've all seen that again. San Marino fan account: We scored and we equalised against fucking Denmark. Fuck me! Excuse my language, by the way. Um, oh my fucking god, I love you, Alessandro, Alessandro, you goat. And it was just, ah, oh, I mean, it was just a great moment.
3: It was fantastic, and it was made. I think it was made more, uh, more fantastic. If that's the thing you can say, by the fact that it wasn't like a an eight-one consolation goal. Like they actually equalized against Denmark. Like they were on even terms for ten minutes at least uh, against the Danes, which have, have been a pretty, pretty good team. And
1: in the second half as well, right? Like it wasn't yeah, in the first it, half.
3: No. And 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 Denmark only won two one in the end. They could only get one more. You know, the Denmark really labouring to get past San Marino, which is so awkward for them. But I mean, I think that makes it even more. I obviously can't speak for them, yeah. but if I was a San Marino yeah, fan, that would. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it really did. And uh, I mean, <laughs> Kasper Smeichel kind of seems to have lost his rag a little bit here, because according to the Danish journalist Michael Sten Jensen. Kasper Michael uh, at one point shouted, and I guess uh, uh, in games in San Marino, you can you can probably hear these things, give me the ball, you fucking prick, to one of the ball boys <laughs> against San Marino. <laughs> he was kind of confronted by the Danish press after the game, and he said, well, you know, you say a lot of things during a game. This, this is pretty normal. But, you know, if, San Marino had had Denmark rumbled to the point where uh, Kasper Michael was being abusive towards the ball boys.
1: Hmm. And I, look, Nikki, we're all in it for unbridled joy. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen often. I'm all for this. I'm all behind San Marino. I'm sad for them. They weren't able to get it across the line, but I don't think anyone there is sad at all because, yeah, one won one in the second half. I, I, I can't say I watched this game, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> no, that's because okay. Because <laughs> there was another game on, but I was enjoying, as everyone else was, the reactions on Twitter to it.
2: Yeah, totally brilliant. Uh, also in Group so Group H, Slovenia and Denmark had joint top on 19 points. Kazakhstan can catch them. Uh, they beat Finland 2-1. It was sort of winner stays alive for them. Uh, Richard says, not, not really a question. Please spend as little time on Northern Ireland as possible, considering since COVID we've played 15 competitive home games and won three, scoring 11 goals, seven of which were against San Marino. Not that easy, actually, it turns out. Kosovo and Cyprus, yeah, they lost 1-0 uh, to uh, top place Slovenia. Um, John says can you talk about Northern Ireland's fans reaction to Euro 2028 specifically Casement Park is there awareness in the UK of the issues with the stadium or is it just assumed that it's already built and Northern Ireland already playing there yeah I assumed that and uh, forgive me it's situated in an area of West Belfast that has a predominantly nationalist population where many teams would support the Republic of Ireland as opposed to Northern Ireland the amalgamation of official Northern Ireland supporters clubs have expressed their concerns about the safety of fans attending games at the stadium. They've also questioned what effect the choice of Casement Park will have on Northern Ireland's football legacy. Windsor Park, where Northern Ireland play their international games, has a capacity of 18,500, which falls at well below UEFA's criteria of 30,000 for a European championship. And so Casement Park was nominated instead. Uh, onto the Republic of Ireland. They beat Gibraltar 4-0 uh Gibraltar have lost all six games, uh, scored Norton conceded 21. And uh, they could keep their hopes of qualification alive, Lars, by intentionally losing to Netherlands. Here we go. This is fantastic.
3: Yeah, this this is crucial. I mean, this is what... I mean, certainly as a Norwegian, I've found it funny just how many games, like how bad you can be and still have a chance of qualifying. It seems to be through the Nations League. But it's gotten it's gotten weirder with the Republic of Ireland because, of course, the way these things work is you, you have a ranking according to how you did in the Nations League and where you are in that ranking will determine whether you get a playoff spot through the through the Nations League. But of course, for, uh, for, for that to work out, what you want is for all the teams that finished above you in the Nations League to qualify directly so that they don't take one of the playoff spots from the Nations League. And in the case of Ireland, the Netherlands are one of the teams who who did better than them unexpectedly uh, in in the Nations League, whereas the Netherlands are now in a situation where um, they're not totally guaranteed to uh, to, to qualify uh, yet. They beat Greece, that helped a lot, but but this could still go wrong for them when they play Greece in the last game, and if the Netherlands. For her to lose to Ireland, which seems very unplausible, uh, the way Ireland have been going, it, it could that 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 would make it worse. So, I'm feeling I haven't explained this very well. That the the situation is basically, Ireland really need the Netherlands, who are in their group, to qualify from their group, uh, because of Nations League shenanigans. So when they go out and play against the Netherlands, that's going to have to be one of the weirder team talks in in recent international history. <laughs> Stephen Kenny is going to have to sit them down and and just got to pump up the atmosphere and say, lads, you you know what you've got to do here. yeah You know, our qualification hopes are hanging by a thread. Got to go out there and not put a performance in. We're Hmm. all relying on you. Go out there and lose.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, Will, the advantage that the Republic of Ireland have is if they put in a flat, laboured performance and lose 2-0, no one is going to say, hang on a second, something's wrong (laughs) here, are they?
4: Yeah, I suspect Evan Ferguson might get dropped for that match on the on the yeah. risk that he's got the capability to score goals. Just just rest him. Don't you worry about that. No, no, yeah. Evan, you you chill out. We need we need you for later on.
0: No, what they yeah. should
2: do is um, they should suddenly they just bring in Jack's Boys of 1990. Ray Houghton is picked with Andy Townsend. You know, Niall Quinn and Tony Cascarino do a half each. And they go, listen, there's just i just picked the best players at my disposal. Says Stephen Kenny.
3: It is basically the football equivalent of that Father TED episode, isn't it, with the, yes. the, the, the Euro <laughs> my lovely contest. horse: Yeah
2: it's the my lovely horse <laughs> of football. you're absolutely right.
3: the, the team selection for the Netherlands <laughs> game will basically should be the football equivalent of my lovely horse. Evan Ferguson, <laughs> Chidozio Cido, yeah. Bernnet, hey, you guys all have cool. a rest.
2: They could all have, they could always just pick the, you know the walking football team from that father TED episode. that would work. Yeah wouldn't it? Uh, Group G, uh, Hungary held to a 2-2 draw by Lithuania. Uh, Serbia played Montenegro. They still played as Serbia and Montenegro as re- recently as the 2006 World Cup. Um, that was the year Montenegro gained independence. Serbia won 3-1. Mitrovic got a couple. Uh, Dusan Tadic the other. Hungary and Serbia are basically through barring something pretty wild. Um, if that happens, Montenegro could feasibly catch one of them. Uh, Group F, Austria confirmed their qualification thanks to a 1-0 win over Azerbaijan. Ralph Rangnick's Red Army Portugal beat Bosnia-Herzegovina 5-0 and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored two more goals. Uh, Martin emailed a listener from Luxembourg here. I love Philippe, naturally, but whenever he mentions how well Luxembourg are doing, we inevitably go on to lose getting punted 9-0 by Portugal, or as was the case on Monday, losing to a single goal in a decisive game against Slovakia. It goes without saying that deep down I'm delighted when Philippe tips his hat in our direction, but maybe as a way of atoning for his hand in our latest defeat, Philippe could explain to everyone how the Nations League qualification route to the Euros works that we've just had last try and explain.
3: I mean, I just tried. I don't think I did a very good job of it. If we have any listeners left after that, uh, God bless you all for still being with us.
2: Yes, I'm not, uh, I'm not ringing up Philippe now to get him to do that. Look, Scotland lost 4-1 in France in a friendly. They took the lead. Billy Gilmore scored. France won comfortably. It doesn't matter, which must be lovely for Scotland fans to hear. It doesn't matter how they do in the next game. They're through. They're there. They've made it. And um, uh, that is just wonderful news, as you and Murray confirmed. Um, I mean, you knew it had happened before you and Murray came on to confirm it to you. Um, Unless this is the only, you don't watch any football and this is the only place you come to for your news. Uh, But that'll do for part two. Um, uh, Part three, we will do any other business. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Fred says, can we have an update from Paul Watson on the shenanigans at Mongolia-Afghanistan World Cup eliminated? Look, we've already asked him for something. You know, <laughs> because, poor guy's got things to do. Afghanistan won 1-0 in Mongolia, uh, 2-0 on aggregates. I think that means Mongolia the first team out of the World Cup. So uh, commiserations to them. Uh, big VAR news, everybody. Darren England and Dan Cook are returning to Premier League duty for the first time since um, the uh, debacle at the, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, they were stood down for two matches that same weekend, excluded from the following round of fixtures. Uh, Darren England will get, gets the big gig fourth official uh, of Brentford Burnley. Uh, Dan Cook, assistant referee of Sheffield United, Manchester United also on Saturday. And Simon Hooper, who is refereeing, uh, will function as the VAR for Newcastle's home game against Crystal Palace on Saturday. Yes, will
4: do you know where Darren England was last night?
2: Was he in Saudi Arabia?
4: No. He, he was in Brentford already. He was fourth official for the Soccer Ashes. The Subway what? Socceroos versus the All Whites of New Zealand.
2: Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And did it, did been, it go? I mean, Australia won 2 0, but did it. Um, they, yes. it, was, did it go he off got without a hitch?
4: He got all the substitutions right the numbers, the, the green and the red. He, oh, he was good. He's back. He's back, England. He's primed. He's, back. He's, He's going back. to be good is. again.
2: Do you know, we probably shouldn't have brought it up. We should have just left him alone. Poor bastards. You know, there would be enough people watching him, hoping something goes wrong. Um, uh, now, Will, Pascal Chimbonda news. Uh, you are off to see his first game in management.
4: Yeah, I'm off to Bursko later tonight. He is managing Skelmersdale, but Skelmersdale play at Bursko.
2: Tough place to go?
4: It's ter- very tough on a day like this. It's horrifically windy. I did go to Bursko uh 20 years ago, to see Mosley beat Skelmersdale, because Skelmersdale playing there then. And former Man City striker, Leo Mike scored twice. So I'm hoping for something similar tonight. Um, Chimbonda has said he's influenced by Guardiola and Mourinho and Simeone, so it's going to be an interesting style. Uh, Fusion. From, yeah, from the, the North West Counties League Premier Division's bottom side, who've won one in 16. They're playing against Kendal Town in the Macron Cup. Um, but yeah, no, it's very exciting to see, you know, Jim Bonders, has, he, he did drop down to play in non-league at a similar level for a couple of teams um, when his career was winding down. So he's been open to it. He's had an academy in Manchester for quite a while now. He does one-on-one training sessions and, you know, I think he said he couldn't get a job. Anywhere else, so you know, good for Skelmersdale, given them a hell of a lot of publicity, and good for Pascal that he's very willing to take it on. It's going to be a tough job, you know, looking at the stats and whatnot, and we'll see how it goes later on.
2: No, I mean, I think you make a good point. It sort of sounds fun, and it's, but it is really, it is for those reasons. But also, it is hard to get in, right? It is really hard yeah. to get in.
4: He's got his UA for A license. He's put in the hard yards. Say he's got, he's had academy, and his academy has. Put in plays into the non-league system, um, which is you know, shows that he's doing some good work. You know, based in the northwest, and yeah, he's got to take a job somewhere. And this opportunity came up, and you know, if he if you improve Skelmersdale from being bottom to third from bottom, he's he's done a good job. Um, but it's, it's going to be a lot of hard work, and you know, it's the the classic. It's a long way from playing for Tottenham, and you know, he was in the World Cup final squad for France that uh, lost to. Italy and the Zidane headbutt so you know I might see a few more of those later uh, but yeah it'll be exciting to see and good luck to him it's going to be a hell of a challenge but his eyes are wide open and he the fact that he did drop down to play on these shows he's got an idea of what, what it's going to be like
2: Where is um, Bursko and where is for? I mean obviously I know but for our, our foreign listeners
4: Skem um, yeah sort of so Liverpool way, I think would be the, right. the easiest way of describing it. I'm sure someone will message him and bemoan my brief description. But bottom line, Google it if you want to know.
3: <laughs> I wish, we, I wish, I wish we could say that more often on this podcast. Just, whatever, yeah. oh, mate, mate, just Google it. Yeah, go, just Google. I you know was going to say,
2: could answer pretty much every question I ask to that. Yeah.
4: To be fair, after Lars' description of the. Uh, Nations League qualifying rules. I think there's
3: going to be a lot of people Googling answers today. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's entirely fair. Robert
2: says, um, which MLS team is Lars looking forward to watching as the playoffs begin?
3: Well, the thing about this, because I've uh, tried to, well, I've I've done two things this year that have impacted my, my MLS uh, watching. One of them is that I've written a book and the other one is I've been making an effort to sleep at the right times of day. Uh, the conventionally considered right times of day obviously so I haven't watched it as much as usual but stuff like St. Louis winning their conference and like Cincinnati winning the supporters shield what is happening in MLS this season so I definitely will make an effort to watch more of the playoffs mainly to watch those two teams who I would you know in in my ignorance and in my uh not having watched it properly this season I'm still a little bit going what uh, so I'd uh, I'd like to yeah know what's going on there so yeah FC Cincinnati and St Louis
1: I'm excited to see St Louis playing in an MLS playoffs there was such a like cuz when I was there it was before they had a major league soccer team and they there's an actual like real soccer culture in St Louis it's, it's a city that was that was ready for it and um and yeah getting to see them having won the division won the conference you know i'm i'm gonna get my kick back as well and and going in having uh favorites from the west i'm, I'm super curious about how they're gonna do
3: yeah my, my my incredulity is not so much by the fact that well it is because they're an expansion franchise right it's their first mm-hmm. season and we don't often see them do that well uh, so that that is quite uh, fascinating and uh, it, it's been very neglectful of me to not follow it more more closely <laughs> but uh, i i'll try to set aside the time uh, for the playoffs for sure
2: I was about to read them out, but they seem like there was a lot of them.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, many teams in the playoffs. Just not, just not Inter Miami.
2: Right. Okay. So there's. So is this is first. Is this the first round of playoffs that are ha- just about to happen? Is that so? Is Inter Miami, Charlotte? Is that the first one?
3: No, Inter Inter Miami are still playing because they had some games postponed because of the League's Cup. Uh, right, but I don't okay. think they can reach it. Uh, see, this oh. is how ignorant I am of MLS going on this season. I think I might have to have my sort of honorary MLS uh, correspondent uh, tag taken away from me. Uh, mm. fr- from yeah. uh, well, yeah.
2: Currently, there's no one fighting for that role. Perhaps we should get in touch with Leonardo Bonucci's South Dakota podcast. That would be good, player. yeah. Hopefully our more across it. Um, has anybody having just watched the David Beckham Documentary. We haven't talked about it at all. You know, is his big face appears whenever I get onto Netflix and want to watch the next series of Alone. Um, what is it like, Nikki?
1: You haven't watched it. Oh, it's. No. it's I really enjoyed it. Um, it's. A window into many things all at once. Obviously, it's a window into David Beckham and, and his career and, and you get insights into his relationship with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, insights into his relationship, well, his relationships with all sorts of people in football and, and how they led to the different moves he made in his career. I think it's, for those of us of the right vintage, it's um, a fascinating look back to uh, the 2000s and the culture of that time and, and some of the things that went on in terms of how the paparazzi behaved that I think have changed. Um, I think those things are are really interesting. I think it's a really human insight actually into the reality of someone who was obviously uh, became, wasn't at the beginning, and that's also part of what's interesting about it, became a, a genuine global superstar, but started off as quite a shy kid from a very sort of close family. And I think it's also in that regard a really interesting insight into Victoria Beckham as well and, and who she was. And and I think the the family dynamic is one of the things that I personally found most interesting because a lot of the decisions that get made about the moves he takes in his career, such as going to Spain are not as straightforward as I think football reporting wants them to be. And I think football reporting focuses everything on the footballer and what they need and what they should be doing and the consideration of actually what it is to be a parent and to have kids and to be living apart from those kids at certain times and just the impact on on your life of those things and, and how it can change things. I don't want to sort of try and recount it all but i think there's there's some some chapters in his story that feel very different seeing them from his and again from Victoria's perspective as well to how i would have perceived them at the time and of course it's a documentary viewed entirely through one lens it's his story but there are is an extraordinary cast of interviewees that that join in with that i mean every sort of major football figure you can think of from that period has a voice in it I found it really, really interesting. It was one of the most enjoyable of those sort of limited series on Netflix that I can remember.
2: Right. Well, I wasn't going to watch it and now I will watch it. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I am glad I asked. And actually, producer Sider said, should we ask this? And I was like, does anyone care? And I was wrong. For the record, I was wrong. Uh, a lot of people asked about, Philippe quoted uh, a musician and writer called Robert Rotifer, who had written an article about the right to speechlessness when we were discussing... Football's reaction to Israel and Palestine. Um uh, it is in German, but I will tweet out a link. Um I went then sort of through Google Translate. I, my German isn't what it was in nineteen ninety seven, let me tell you. But um I went through Google Translate, but you have to you can't translate it all in one chunk, because <laughs> Google Translate has a limit. So but I would really recommend you do it. It's a very well measured and thoughtful article on a very difficult subject slightly differently Jim says what do the panelists think about the pod's recent shocking anti dog stance That 9th of October it was me Nadim Paul McInnes and John Bruin uh, John Bruin of course uh, did have some previous ones, uh, as attacked as a youngster by dogs and it was dogs in pubs it was because in the Football Weekly book which you can buy go to the Guardian Bookshop uh, in miscellaneous dislikes on your player profile uh, John Bruin had said dogs in pubs and it turned out that everyone on the panel was sort of in agreement. And we were all slightly worried that there would be a huge vitriolic backlash. And there wasn't, actually. But, you know, now for balance, I know very much that Nikki and Lars are, you know, in the pro dog fraternity. I don't know where. Will, where do you stand on this?
4: Don't care about dogs being in pubs. Don't want one as a pet. Don't particularly like them. Don't have time for them.
3: But. Wow, don't have time for them. Good Lord. No.
4: I, next door stop keeps jumping on me and licking me. So, if my neighbour's listening, stop it.
2: Yeah, stop it. Th- it's the it's the entitlement of owners who just laugh when your dog licks you in the face when you're lying in a park. Was what I said, but I didn't want to get even more anti dog. Nikki, laughs, please, just for some balance, because because you can't. You know, I remember. You know, there was that there was that sort of list of. Um, us presidents they all had dogs until trump and it was just like look he is that bad he doesn't have a dog and then i thought oh no i'm in the I'm really in the wrong i'm in the wrong camp here but nikki lars it's, it's over well, to
1: with, you. with like perfect timing ross is just my dog ross is just like started threatening to woof at the door like he's like looking at the door and giving it like a gentle pre-woof which he is knows. what he does when he's thinking about having a big woof dog is the best dogs are the best why wouldn't you want like to come home to someone who just no matter like what you've done in the day thinks you're the best thing in the world like it's amazing
3: yeah I concur with that like I don't want to quibble with obviously Bruin's uh, childhood trauma is a very sort of genuinely felt thing on on his side so that's all we should respect that but I do think the whole sort of maybe I'm showing my sort of metropolitan big city elitism thing here by just saying at least in the city, there are so many spaces where dogs are not allowed. If you go to one of the pubs where they are allowed and you complain about the fact that there are dogs there, that's kind of a that's a you problem, not a dog problem.
4: I did recently get kicked out of a pub for taking my sleeping daughter in. So if you want to go in for children in pubs chat next time, that's fine. <laughs> I, the, the 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 barman helped me carry her in and then got to the bar and goes, Oh, we're not allowed y ki- you're not allowed kids in. So I was like <laughs> We just, I was like, it's what a dog. You, what da-
2: did you think it was? Yes.
4: <laughs> well, I said, right, don't worry about it. It's a dog. She was asleep. I was like, I a yeah. quiet pipe. She's asleep. It's raining.
2: There is so much hypocrisy here because, you know, I have a small child and I spend a lot of time in cafes handing him a toy car and saying, look, show this car to that person. And he bottles off. And he's, in my view, indescribably cute. But that person could be on a deadline with a laptop. And you can't say no when a toddler hands you a toy car. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, hopefully. You're really
3: awful. <laughs> Hopefully, your toddler will not randomly lick strangers in the face, though, because that that that's maybe off-putting for some.
2: Sure, he's yet to do that, but still, <laughs> it's, it's the person in the cafe didn't go. I, I you know, has not re- requested the presence of a toddler, and yet I am. Look, every 20 seconds off is, you know, is like gold dust, right? So, you know, and it's good for his social development interaction or whatever. Um, So, uh, good. I think there was some some balance there. Thank you.
1: You know, toddlers and dogs, as long as it's the right dogs, can also be a beautiful combination. Oh,
2: oh, he loves dogs. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. That's a wonderful thing. No, I mean, I'm happy for him to be happy around a dog. (laughs) If I'm lying down with my eyes closed and one licks me in the face and I don't just get a commensurate... I'm sorry, you might not have wanted that. That's all I want from the owner. <laughs> you know, then, then that's the problem. Anyway, uh, JT says, I'm missing Barry so much. I'm actually listening to the adverts to hear your chat. Wow. I mean, I feel for you, JT. <laughs> but, you know, stay strong and it won't be long. Um, and that'll do for today. Thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks. Thank you, Will. Cheers, Max. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Anderson.